Hello, and welcome to Locked on Vikings. I am your host, Luke Braun. Uh, I am extremely excited to be taking over this show. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, I am going to be reviving this show as its new host. I'm going to be bringing you shows every Monday through Thursday from here on out, and I will be able to upload them in the morning so you can take me on your morning commute or listen to me at whatever point during the day you want. Uh, I am so excited to be able to... Uh, build off of the work that the previous hosts of this show did, Sam Ekstrom and Sage Rosenfels and Jordan Reed. I was a huge fan of what those guys were doing when they were on this show, and so this is really an amazing moment for me to be able to take over what they did and build off of what they were able to do on this show. Um, a little bit about me, because you probably don't know who I am, especially if you were somebody who subscribed during uh, Sam and Sage or during JR's time. Uh, I am a writer for Purple PTSD. Uh, that's what I did before taking over this show. Um, I am a nerd, first and foremost. I am the kid that you copied off in math class. Uh, I am really obsessed with football as a mental game, as the kind of chess game of it, you know, the coverages and the schemes, and even, you know, the analytics and evaluating athletes kind of in more objective ways. Uh, I'm a huge fan of all of that stuff, but as you may kind of guess from that introduction, I did not play. If you ever saw me and met me in person, you would be able to very quickly discern why I did not play. I'm about 5'10", maybe a buck 40, I would have snapped like a twig. Um, and because of that, you know, I understand that that means that I will never have the perspective that somebody like Sage Rosenfels has, where he played, and he played at the highest level, and he kind of understand what it, understands what it's like in the locker room or in the huddle. I don't have that perspective. Um, and to make up for that, I want to make a promise to you, the listener, that you will never have to take me on faith on things that I have not experienced. I don't think that would be fair to come onto this show, uh, especially considering those who precede me. Uh, it wouldn't be fair for me to come onto this show and expect you to just take me on faith or believe what I say uh, and believe my opinions without me backing it up. So that's that's kind of a promise that I want to make to you, the listener, that I am going to show my work. Um, so with this show, I, I just want to lay out kind of what I want to do with it. And I think the first thing, the most important thing, is I want to get the listener involved. Uh, later in the segment, most of this show is going to be a Seahawks-Vikings preview since this show is coming out Monday, December 10th, the day of that game. Um... I want to get the uh, listeners involved, so today we have uh, some bold predictions I'm going to get to later, and if you responded to the tweet from at LockedOnVikings, which you should go follow on Twitter, uh, if you responded to that tweet with a bold prediction and I liked it, uh, you can maybe hear me talk about your prediction and talk a little bit about what goes into it, um, but I want to get a lot more kind of interaction stuff going on, so please go follow at LockedOnVikings on Twitter. And uh, keep an eye out for opportunities to get involved. Um, this shouldn't be just me talking at an audience. This should be a back and forth. I really do believe that in a good podcast, the audience is a host kind of in their own way. Um, and beyond that, I kind of want to figure out the why, you know, kind of why things happen in football. I, I think... To a lot of fans, and myself included, football is enshrouded in a little bit of mystery, right? You can kind of see, um, you know, if you just look at, at last night's uh, 
Bears-Rams game, right? The Rams couldn't function on offense, and that's insane. That's something that nobody would have predicted or expected. You know, we we also saw them on primetime in that game with the Chiefs, that crazy game where they were just scoring back and forth. We saw the Rams play against the Vikings and the Vikings who were supposed to have a good defense and just absolutely roll them up. We thought this Rams offense was unstoppable and then they come out on Sunday night football and they can't move the ball. That is really, really mysterious. And I think part of the fun of talking about football and covering football is figuring out, okay, why did that happen? Right? Was it the cold? Was it just the bears outplaying the Rams or is the bears defense as good as the Rams offense and should we kind of calibrate our expectations for both of those those units kind of like tell ourselves okay these two units are as good as each other or is the Bears defense just better um, was there a scheme thing that they were doing I, I think we can look at uh, the the recent uh, tilt between the Cowboys and Saints you know the Saints were kind of like shut down and weirdly like couldn't move the ball similar to the Rams here. And, and you can actually look at it and say, oh, wow, they like put an extra cornerback in instead of a linebacker and covered Alvin Kamara that way. And that worked. And finding out that why is really interesting because then the next time the Saints play a game, we can kind of look at the defense that plays against the Saints and say, hey, are they doing the same thing? Did they copy this? Did it work as well for them or was it a fluke? Um those are just a few examples of kind of the way that I like to think about football. I think of it as a mystery to be unraveled and a little bit less of, you know, oh, I think this player is good and no, I don't think that player is good. Um, and, and I think too often we kind of let football be enshrouded in mystery. You know, we kind of say, oh, well, the Rams were just bad on Sunday night. Guess them's the breaks. But I don't believe in that. I think we can always figure it out or we can always at least get an idea, a, a hypothesis, and then we can look at some objective data and some subjective data and figure out if if people who are smarter than us agree with that. So I guess that's kind of my promise to, to you as the listener is that I'm not going to make you take me on faith. Um, I'm going to delve into the why of the results of football. I'm going to try to figure out with you and interacting with you why things go the way that they do. Um, and I hope that that's interesting to you. If you are not the kind of person that wants to hear about analytics or kind of that like deep dive nerdy stuff, I implore you, please uh, give it a chance because I want to present this in a way that even the, the biggest detractors of analytics can kind of understand where I'm coming from. So with that, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk Seahawks, and we're going to get to your bold predictions. Talk to you soon. And we are back. So in spite of that whole intro kind of not really talking uh, from the Vikings' perspective, this is Locked on Vikings. And wouldn't you know it, the Vikings play a football game tonight, and it's kind of an important one. Um, with playoff, with regards to playoff position and the Vikings-Seahawks tilt, uh, this game matters a lot less than it did uh around this time Sunday morning before all those games were played. Um, but it still matters a ton, right? There's like all kinds of, of playoff odds and percentages that are at stake here. But just real quick going over the playoff positioning, um, right now the Eagles, Panthers, and Washington Redskins are all at 6-7, and seven, and the Vikings are at 6-5-1. and one. So if the Vikings lose, go to 6-6-1, six, six, and one, they will remain in that sixth seed, the next closest team 
is that trio of six and seven units. So the Vikings can lose this one and still be in a, a kind of control-your-own-destiny-for-the-playoffs moment. Um, right now, the Seahawks are in the five seed above us, so whoever wins this game gets the five seed, loser gets the six seed. That's the way it works, with three games to go. Obviously, a whole lot can change, teams can collapse, somebody can come on hot. Um, there is still a whole, a whole most of a month of football to be played. But going into this game, I think the, the story of the Vikings-Seahawks Monday Night Football game is going to be a tale of two identities, right? The, the Vikings are the most or maybe one of the most pass-happy teams in the NFL going into this one, depending maybe something changed over the course of Sunday's game um, games. And the Seahawks are one of the most run-happy teams in the NFL. So this is going to be kind of two conflicting identities of a team that wants to, you know, throw the ball, move quickly, but at the same time, if they fail, that's incomplete passes. They can't take a lot of time off of the clock. And in situations where they want to run, like short yarded situations or, you know, when you're ahead with the lead, the Vikings are going to struggle a little bit. And on the other hand, the, Vi the Seahawks, a run first team, uh, are going to have an easier time controlling the clock. But if they get behind, it's going to be a lot harder for them to, you know, make these crazy comebacks when they can't uh, use this, like, this ground and pound and mentality that they kind of want to go for first. Um, so just breaking this down by like side of the ball for the Vikings on defense, um, stopping the Seattle offense, in my opinion, is going to be a two parter. The Seahawks, uh, uh, like I said, are a run first team and they, they drafted a running back in the first round, Rashad Penny. They're not really using him as much. Chris Carson is more of the guy to be worried about. But their offensive line, from a run-blocking perspective, has been a lot better than we're, like, really used to seeing the Seahawks be, right? The Seahawks have always been this, like, Russell Wilson and a good running back and an excellent defense and a horrible offensive line. And things have kind of changed. That offensive line is actually playing very well right now, especially in pass protection. Um, so stopping the run is going to be challenging. And it's also going to be really, really important because this is going to be the way that the Seahawks want to generate successful plays. And uh, successful, unsuccessful is something that I'm going to talk about a lot on this show. And basically it just means, uh, did you did did you stay ahead of the chains, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, and that's defined by something called expected points, which I can talk about more later. But in short, it's basically, um, did you put yourself in a situation where teams score more often, you know, teams score from first and 10 on the 25-yard line this often, did your play put you in a situation where teams score more often than that? If so, it was successful, and if not, it was unsuccessful. Usually that means getting about half of the, the yards to gain, like five yards on first down. You know, if it's second and six, you got three. Set up a third and three, you're usually doing pretty good. Um, so for Seattle, they want to generate successful plays on the ground. So if Linval Joseph and Sheldon Richardson and the linebackers, uh, whoever ends up playing Eric Kendricks is questionable, uh, so that might be Eric Wilson. It'll definitely be Anthony Barr. If they can stay in the right gaps, make the tackles they need to make, and if the defensive tackles, Richardson and Joseph, can be as disruptive as we know that they can be versus the run, we can put the Seahawks behind the chains, and that leads us to step two, which is uh, keeping Wilson contained. And this has been kind of a thing with Russell Wilson for his whole career, right? You have to keep him in the pocket. You have to be keep him in the pocket. And that's not to say that, oh, once you know you take away his ability to scramble around, the offense just falls apart. That's not the case at all. There's another kind of facet to that. You need to play contain with your edge rushers, and all that means is is having, like, Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin instead of just charging toward the quarterback. 
uh, and trying to get past an offensive lineman, that's not going to work against Russell Wilson, right? Because he can evade you and run around and scramble and find somebody downfield. Uh, you have to kind of just create a wall and make it so that if Russell Wilson does try to bail out of the pocket, you'll tackle him then, and you have to let the interior guys get all the pressure. And that's going to be the kind of second part of it, right? Back to Sheldon Richardson and Linval Joseph. They're the ones who have to get all the pressure because Griffin and Hunter will have to play contain. If, if, if it's left to the edge rushers to get the pressure, Russell Wilson will evade and run around, and we've seen that a million times. We saw Mitch Trubisky kill us that way. Um, that's going to be paramount to stopping the Seahawks offense. You have to get him behind the chains, and once you get him behind the chains, you have to make sure that Russell Wilson doesn't do weird hero crap, but you also have to get pressure on him. Uh, down the field, the Vikings are going to be a little bit depleted in coverage. Obviously, they're working without Anderson Dejo. Anthony Harris has had a pretty well-documented season up to this point, so he'll play hopefully as well as he's been playing. And Trey Waynes is out with a concussion, which means we're going to see a big game from Holton Hill. And I'm going to talk a lot more about Holton Hill later, don't you worry. Um, but on that side of the ball, it's going to really come down to stopping the run and then making sure that they can't convert those long third downs. On offense, the Seahawks are not really who they used to be, um, but running on them is still unwise. Now, they lost Richard Sherman, they lost Cam Chancellor, they've lost Earl Thomas for the season now. They still have Bobby Wagner, who's playing out of his mind against the run, but they lost a lot of that interior. Michael Bennett and Sheldon Richardson's playing here now. Um, that said, they've got this rookie, Jaron Reed, and between Wagner and Reed, they have like 54 run stops or something. All a run stop is is a, a rushing tackle that leads to an unsuccessful play, like what I explained earlier. Um, 54 is insane. Those two players are going to stop the run. Um, so if you want to kind of play the Seahawks game and play that kind of clock control and make sure that you can keep your offense on the field, you know, get those, get ahead of the chains and set your, set Kirk Cousins up in situations where, you know, it's not third and long and they can't just like blitz and sack him. Um, you're going to have to find ways to generate successful plays outside of the run. Because running up the gut against the Seahawks defense is not going to work. Passing on them might. Their corners have not been playing nearly as well as we're used to Seahawks corners playing. Um, and in coverage, there are a lot of liabilities all over that secondary. And we got Diggs and Thielen. So if if I were John Filippo trying to attack the Seahawks, I would go for modest gains on first and second down via the pass, which is basically what he's... I mean, I'm explaining the game plan that John Filippo's had pretty much all year. Um, you know, in lieu of being able to run, you get the ball to Dalvin Cook on a swing pass. Now you've got the ball to Dalvin Cook, you're using your playmaker, um, but you're just doing it in space instead of, like, up a running gap. Um, and if you can generate those successful plays and get yourself into nice, favorable situations, that's when you can start to take your shots. And I think against this defense, taking shots with Diggs and Thielen and even Kyle Rudolph is going to be successful. Um, so... Using short passes as a substitute for the run and then taking a shot when you get yourself into favorable situations, like second and two, for example. Take a shot there, you get your third and two if you don't get it, and you can still convert and keep the drive alive. So when we come back, we're going to talk bold predictions. That's going to come from you guys, the listeners. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the bold predictions that you guys sent in, some of my favorites, and talk about the Viking Seahawks game a little bit more that way. So stay patient, and I will talk to you in a minute. And welcome back. So, as promised, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some bold predictions for the Monday night game between the Vikings and Seahawks. Uh, I asked you on Twitter, at LockedOnVikings, please go follow if you want to participate. This is going to be something we do all the time. 
Um, I asked for some bold predictions. I wanted to see what your hot takes were as the listeners to this show. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my favorites. So we're going to start with uh, something from at Skulls and Bones, which is an awesome handle, uh, who says, Holton Hill pick six. Uh, that would make me so happy. Holton Hill coming out of the draft was somebody that could have been like a second or third round talent. And he fell not because of his talent or because of an injury or because of any kind of concern over what he could do on the field, but because of off field issues. He had marijuana issues at Texas. It was all very ambiguous. It was kind of reported that there were like 10 violations, but that wasn't confirmed and it was all kind of rumored. Um, and it turns out that once he came to, to, the Minnesota Vikings via undrafted free agency, he's been able to keep his nose clean and he's actually played really, really well. Uh, one stat that I can give you is this is something you can get from uh, PFF elite. I'll link a, a purchase link in the, in the show notes. If you're interested in following along with some of these things, um, is that against the Patriots where he had to play like a lot of that game because a Trey Waynes went out and also he had to play in, in relief for Xavier Rhodes, who was playing in a limited capacity. Anyways, Holton Hill only gave up, one catch. In fact, he was only targeted once, which for cornerbacks makes a lot of sense as a way to evaluate them, right? If you aren't getting targeted, especially if you come in as a backup and Tom Brady sees the backup come in and says, I can't throw at you, it generally suggests that you're in pretty good coverage. So Holton Hill was only targeted once to Julian Edelman for a seven-yard catch. So only giving up seven yards in one game, when you have to play most of the game and you're the undrafted free agent rookie backup, that is amazing production, and he's just shattering the normal expectations we have for undrafted free agent cornerbacks. Now, he's still got a long way to go. He still makes some mistakes here and there, still makes some, some mistakes on special teams, but a young corner like Holton Hill, if he could develop, acquiring that without spending any draft capital is excellent, excellent, excellent and can really, really go a long way toward keeping this kind of really good defensive core that the Vikings have sustainable, right? If you can have Holton Hill, who will be cheap, play well for three years, that's going to go a long way toward getting everybody else extended and figuring out the rest of your core. So moving on from that, uh, we're going to stick with the Vikings defense, and we're going to go uh, with a prediction from Gabrielle Greco, Greco 97 Thank you for submitting who says Anthony Barr finally gets his first sack of the season and actually gets two sacks in the game. So uh, just a word on sacks versus pressures. Um, Pro Football Focus tracks pressures. I know Next Gen Stats does it. A lot of other, uh, a lot of places have their own definition of pressure. I prefer Pro Football Focus's de definition of pressure, which is basically if you made the quarterback do something different than what the plan was. If he had to throw earlier than, than what the timing of the play was, if he had to move off of the spot that he preferred to be on, um, if he took a hit at all, those kind of things count as a pressure. And you can take those plays and add them to sacks, and you can get a much more stable idea of how often a player on defense is like getting in the quarterback's head and getting in the backfield and messing up their offensive plays. Um, so Anthony Barr pass rushes like eight or nine times on a normal game. He's pass rushed a little bit less lately. And I think part of that's just been kind of like adjusting to the the passing offense the offenses that we've been going against. Uh, you know, the last two games we've gone against Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Those are two quarterbacks that, you know, it might not be wise to blitz them all the time. They are, are veteran quarterbacks that are pretty good at getting rid of the, at, at killing the blitz. Um, but in a normal game, he, he will pass rush like eight or nine times and he'll get pressure on like three of those. And that's a really, really, really efficient rate. 
So I am all for seeing Anthony Barr rush the passer more. I, I'm all for using him almost like a 3-4 outside linebacker rather than a 4-3 outside linebacker. Um, not too much because Anthony Barr's actually been really nice in coverage too. He has kind of quietly had a pretty good year, um, at least when he's healthy. At, and at least statistically, I know that there were some questions about him earlier in the season, especially from that Rams game, but it was kind of determined that that stuff wasn't his fault. We can talk about, about it more if people want to argue with me totally down. Um, but Anthony Barr is a very good pass rusher. He's also a good cover man. Um, but if he can get to the quarterback, if he can get to Russell Wilson and actually chase him down and get him down in on sacks, that's a really good way to get Seahawks behind the chains. Like I talked about earlier, that is a very, very important step toward beating any offense. But if you take the Seahawks into a down and distance situation where they can't run and they have to pass and that's predictable, it gets way, way, way easier to beat them. And I think that's more true for the Seahawks than it is of other teams. So moving on to the last prediction that I'm going to talk about for the day, uh, White Hart Prince at Flirtram. Uh, says 2810 Seahawks, including a Cousins pick six. So I had to include one negative one in here. Um, and I actually I actually <laughs> like the prediction of a Cousins pick six because it's very specific, which makes it bold. But I actually think there's always a decent chance that Cousins throws a pick six. So I'm, I'm going to talk about Cousins a lot over the course of this show, and you'll kind of figure out what my opinion of him is. But I think the thing that defines Kirk Cousins is the tight window throw. He throws risky balls all the time. And it's who he is. It's who he was at Washington. And I think the Vikings actually scouted that and liked it because they said, hey, he's going to throw up contested catches and he's going to give Diggs and Thielen and Rudolph a chance to go up and beat a guy at the catch point. Things that they are pretty good at. Um, and having a quarterback that's more conservative might waste that talent. You can actually look at a lot of the really big plays that the Vikings have had this year. They've been, you know, Adam Thielen going up over the top of somebody or Kyle Rudolph going up over the top of somebody. Um, Kirk Cousins will throw those passes, whether he should or not, and I think the Vikings want that, but it's all the pick sixes. I think the pick six against the Saints, we, uh, we, we broke that down a lot as a community when that happened, but it turned out that uh, Stephon Diggs was running a crossing route, and it was against man coverage. So against man, you are supposed to continue to run because usually you'll have a, a step on the guy, but for some reason... Stefan Diggs stopped in the middle of his route, which is something that you, you typically do against zone coverage. You know, when you realize you're between two zone defenders, you stop and you sit there where you have space. So for some reason, Stefan Diggs behaved as though it were zone coverage. Kirk Cousins threw it as if it were man coverage. But even if it were man coverage, Diggs was covered very, very closely by P.J. Williams on that play. And Kirk Cousins fired it in anyways. That kind of play doesn't happen if you have a more conservative quarterback. But on the other hand... You don't get a play like, for example, uh, the crazy feeling catch against the Packers a couple weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, one where he went up over Jerry Alexander's head and caught it like on his helmet. That play, which was a huge play in the game, very, very impactful, also doesn't happen with more conservative quarterbacks. So you kind of have to take the good with the bad with Kirk Cousins. It's kind of his game is that he's going to throw those for better or worse, and you just have to hope that it works out more often than it doesn't. But a but a pick six is totally a possibility, and that's not even really a knock on Kirk Cousins. I mean, it is like a little bit, but it's just kind of a, a qualifier for the way that he plays. Um, so I could definitely see that happening. In terms of my own prediction, um, 
I am very, very uncertain about a game like this. I think both teams are very evenly matched. Um, but for my first prediction on this show, I am going to take a Vikings win, and the reason is for the the reason is on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think that the the Seahawks defense just isn't who they used to be. They have too many players that seem that were you know backups last year, or players that that aren't the superstars that we're used to seeing. And I think that they're a team that encourages you to throw short passes and do kind of weird West Coasty stuff instead of running the ball up the gut. And wouldn't you know it, that's what the Vikings do best. So I, I think that, that it kind of encourages the Vikings to do what they do best. And for that we- reason, I am going to predict that the Vikings are going to win. But we will talk again tomorrow. We will recap this game. And we're going to be on every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can follow me personally at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked on Vikings. And I hope to see you tomorrow. Thank you all for listening. And skull.